People all over the world are seemingly seeing cryptid creatures at an alarming rate. I feel like I've said this a ton in past videos recently, but I have to say it seemingly is more true than ever. This year I've been sent probably three times as many encounters with creatures, whether they're dogmen, skimwalkers, or anything in between, than I ever have in the whole seven years of doing this. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit yours at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. Now, be sure to elbow that like button in the face so it really feels it, subscribe if you're new, and get ready for these creepy and allegedly true cryptid encounter horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. I don't know what it was by Demon of Science. Hello Swamp Dweller. My story may be weird because this is three encounters within a week of each other. The first encounter happened back in January of 2021. I had just gotten off work around 9pm and was driving toward my house in a rural part of Kentucky. As I enjoyed the drive home, I was passing along a stretch of the road where it just happened to open up to empty fields, when suddenly, I noticed a deer on the side of the fence. It looked mangled, like it had gotten into a fight with a pack of coyotes, but somehow survived. Its fur was all matted, and it looked like it was spitting up blood while hobbling on a broken leg. It just looked horrible. Well, I stopped on the road. I got my phone, ready to dial a friend who worked with the fish and wildlife organization here in our hometown, to make sure that, if needed, I could put it out of its misery. They'll come to get it. As I punched in the last part of his number and pulled my pistol out, the deer started moving toward a cattle gate the landowner used to get his truck in and out. Out of the field, the deer looked at me with these glowing red eyes, and then... It just started climbing over the gate like a human would, using the gate like a ladder. It swung its leg over the top and hopped back onto all fours. Then, all of a sudden, this smell hit me in the car because my window was down slightly, so I could smoke. It reeked of rotten meat and something else made my stomach churn. Well, this smell started moving toward my car, and I froze for about 30 seconds absolutely terrified before somehow I snapped out of it, shifted my car back into gear, and drove away as fast as I possibly could. Basically, I gunned my engine and was swerving the hell out of there. I blew past all the stop signs that led to my house. I flew down my driveway, knocking up gravel. As soon as I got parked, I ran into my house, telling my roommate what had happened. They laughed it off, like, come on, dude, you just imagine that. You work too much and your brain is playing tricks on you. After calming down and catching my breath, I returned to my car to get my backpack and other gear to take inside. I'm closing the trunk and got a whiff of that scent again from my experience, and I began to look around. The damned thing was in the back field, about 40 yards away from me, just staring at me. I bolted back to the house, locked the doors and windows. I grabbed my rifle. I looked at my roommate as they looked out the kitchen window, seeing a quote-unquote deer in the backyard. They didn't say anything as they walked back into the nearby cornfield to the left house. If you're interested in other encounters, 
I'd love to share more. Thank you for reading this story, Swamp Dweller. Honestly, I know some people might just be saying I was tired, but I can't explain this experience, and it just was no normal deer. A Beast in the Swamp by Braxton P. Living in the southern swamps of Georgia, I've had my fair share of crazy experiences, mostly waking up by strange sounds at night. My name is Braxton, and I'm about to tell you the craziest thing that has ever happened to me. As many people may know, the Okefenokee Swamp is settled in southern Georgia, and most of the alligators are also here. I live in Fargo, Georgia, and our only neighbors are the local wildlife and a state park not too far from here. I'm a father of three kids no older than four years old and expecting a fourth child in about six months' time. At 28 years old, I've been married for around five years now. Anyway, about two weeks ago, I was lying down on the bed with my wife. We weren't asleep quite just yet, and out of nowhere, we heard the strangest thing. I couldn't quite determine what it was, but it was something else that I had never heard before. It was coming from a distance and sounded like a cross between a bear and a primate of some kind. Bears are usually only in North Georgia, so they don't usually prowl around these areas. No, this was something different. After I played some YouTube sounds of black bears, nothing comes close to what we heard so we had no clue what it was. We used glass fencing about eight feet tall around our in-ground swimming pool, which is essential to remember because of what happens next. Outside of our window, we have a yellowish dim solar light placed in the pool area. We saw a shadow of something walking by. At first, we thought it was probably just outside of the pool area because there was no way to get into the pool area without going through the house's back door. Not a single gate was installed. The next thing I know, I heard something banging outside of the window, like it was hitting the house. The window is about eight and a half feet off the ground, and the banging was a couple of feet below the window. At this point, I knew this thing had to be around ten feet tall, if not bigger. I noticed that it walked to the other side of the window, as I could only see its shadow. We were both frozen in fear. The last thing that happened was the other noise that it made. It let out a couple of whooping-type noises, and then disappeared into the night. The following day, I walked out to the pool and saw no trace of a break-in. Nothing was broken, no glass, nothing. Everything was intact. I still don't know how this thing ended up inside the pool area, and I don't know what it was. I was told that I should share this story with someone named Swamp Dweller by a friend, and that he could probably tell me what it was. Something in the Tree Line by your local skinwalker. Well, I've been watching your channel for about a year now, so I finally decided to share this story. I was staying at my cousin's farm for hunting. Now, I was always freaked out about his farm. There was just something about it that made it spine chilling. But until this story took place, everything was fine and I never really had any excuse to be scared. So, with that out of the way, let's get on with it. Me and my cousin decided one evening to go out hunting. Not for anything specific, but anything we could shoot and wouldn't get arrested for. 
When my cousin originally asked me, I was hesitant because I was tired from waking up early that morning. But I decided to go just to get out for the rest of the night and have a fun time with my cousin. I will forever regret that decision though. Now you must understand the layout of the pasture and the farm that we were hunting on. It was about 400 acres of flat fields and hills with a creek running through the back half. At the front of the property was a house I was staying at and at the back corner of the property was a tree line nothing but miles and miles of woods behind it. Me and my cousin would head for the same tree line. Now our mode of transportation was an older style side by side. I usually did the driving and my cousin was doing the looking. After gathering our equipment and rifles we eventually set off. The ride up was relatively normal and we saw a few small possums. With hopes up high we entered the back section of the pasture near the tree line. I had this sudden and overwhelming feeling of dread and fear. I tried to brush it off and chalked it up to me just being out in the wilderness late in the evening and freaking out. But as we got closer and closer to the tree line, that feeling of dread became more prominent. But again, I really did do my best just to try to brush it off. Eventually, we made it to the tree line. We both hopped out of the side by side. We discussed our plan of action. My cousin would walk a few hundred feet into the woods and walk around for a little bit. Well, I would walk around the open field area. As I watched my cousin walk in the woods, that feeling of fear was more prominent than ever. It was almost spine chilling at this point. I began to have cold sweats, but I never told him for fear of being made fun of. I was around 12 years old then, so being made fun of was something I always ensured would never happen. I decided to hop on the back of the side-by-side, -side, get a can of coke, and just look at the nice excellent field and try to soothe my fear and dread. Probably five or six minutes later, I see my cousin rapidly walking out of the woods. At first, I was confused because he said he'd be there for much longer, but I knew that something must have been up when I saw the look on his face. He looked shaken and frightened, but he just wanted to escape. I was sitting in the passenger seat at the time, not knowing what was happening. He just hopped in the driver's seat and drove off, which was strange because as I said, I usually did all the driving and he drove off as fast as he could towards the front entrance of the pasture. When I said, dude, what the heck is wrong with you? He said he heard heavy footsteps a few yards away from him and they sounded like whatever it was, that it was on two legs. I knew there had to be more to what happened, but he seemed genuinely scared and didn't want to talk about it any longer. Now my cousin is a pretty tough country boy and he was already you know, in that macho man stage, and usually he would just run up to whatever anything was and either yell at it or shoot it, you know? He was one of those types of guys. I always looked up to him. He was a few years older than me, a bit taller than me, and I always saw him as a good role model, you know? Later that night, he eventually went home, and I ultimately went to bed, and honestly, I never got him to tell me what it was. I think he saw something like a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch or maybe a Dogman, I don't know. But I don't want to find out. The Lake Monster Experience by Anonymous There is something about the Finger Lakes that suggests the possibility of supernatural and mysterious things. Legends and stories abound of hauntings, spirit happenings, utopian communities, ancient ruins, inexplicable phenomena, extraterrestrial visits, and the occasional glimpse of even Sasquatch. Among the most intriguing stories are the numerous reported sightings in the deepest parts of the lake. An aquatic creature, a lake monster if you will, 
Each of the finger lakes has its own personality, of course, but the lakes Seneca and Cayuga seem to fit within a different, more mysterious category. Their waters are colder, their moods are darker, their waves are bigger. You can travel on boats to and from the sea to these two lakes, and their sheer size seems to hint at the possibility of ancient aquatic megafauna. Native Americans believed Seneca Lake to be a bottomless lake, with a monster that lived within its depths. Almost 40 miles long, deep, and one to three miles wide, the pitch black depths of the both hundreds of feet deeper than sunlight can penetrate, descend to depths below sea level. Reports of monsters in Cayuga Lake were numerous, perhaps even routine in the 1800s. It can be inferred from a story from January 5, 1897, in an edition of the Ithaca Journal. Incredibly, the piece reported that a recent sighting marked the 69th consecutive year in which there was a confirmed encounter with the monster nicknamed Old Greeny. The story went on to recount that the member of the newspaper staff had been living in daily anticipation of Old Greeny's appearance and had refused reporting assignments that would have taken them near the lake because they were afraid of the monster. The 1897 incident was reported to have been by an Ithaca resident who was driving along the lake's eastern shore and saw what he knew must be the large, long sea serpent. Of course, there were many people trying to debunk it as some sort of tramp or muskrat. Sporadic and isolated reports of the creature would continue until about 1929, when people began reporting not one, but two creatures sighted together along the lake's eastern shore. The creatures were described by witnesses as being 12 to 15 feet in length. It was speculated that they might be members of the Seneca Lake Sea Serpent family that found their way into the local waters through a subterranean channel, which is believed to exist between the two lakes. Legends of tunnels connecting Cayuga and Seneca Lakes have circulated for many, many years, which anyone with a rudimentary grasp of the notion of water-seeking its own level knows could be possible. Occasional other reports of Old Greeny have certainly been made since then, including a 1974 attack in which a teenage boy apparently had his arm broken and bit by a large eel-like creature and the local 1979 encounter by a professional diver of a submerged animal 30 to 35 feet in length. Still, all the reported sightings, save one, have been by one or two persons. The incident with the greatest number of witnesses, and therefore the most credible lake monster encounter, happened on the evening of July 14, 1899 on Seneca Lake. The side-wheeled steamboat, Otetiani, named to evoke the region's Iroquois past, was traveling north toward Geneva from Watkins Glen with several dozen passengers at about 7 p.m. Sunset was at approximately 8.40, so there was plenty of daylight left, and it had been a sunny and seasonably warm high 79. Somewhere between Dresden on the west side of the lake and Willard on the east side, pilot Frederick Rose reported that approximately 400 yards ahead of the boat was what appeared to be an overturned boat. Captain Carlton Herodine examined the thing with his telescope, later describing its appearance as being 25 feet long with a very sharp bow and long narrow stern. Passengers began to gather. It was a group with some ostensibly credible witnesses, including two commissioners of public works, a police commissioner, the manager of the Geneva Telephone Company, and a geology professor. As Captain Herodine 
completed his inspection, the pilot signaled the engineer to slow down the boat. The steamboat approached to within 100 yards and lowered a boat to take a closer look. Suddenly, the object turned and began to move away. The captain immediately ordered a full speed ahead. As the thing was moving slowly, the steamboat gained on it easily. The object turned again, this time toward the steamboat, raising its head, looking in the direction of the boat and opening its mouth, displaying two rows of sharp white teeth. Captain Herendine declared that he would ram the creature and take it alive, if possible. Otherwise, he would kill it and take it aboard or tow it to Geneva. This was the United States in 1899, when conservation of flora and fauna was still kind of fringe. Out west, the bison population, perhaps 10 million in 1850, had been reduced to fewer than a thousand. Passenger pigeons, numbering in the billions in 1860, were on the brink of extinction. And so the boat was turned so that the boat would approach the creature from the side at a ramming speed. The deck of the steamboat was crowded with passengers who were ordered by the captain to put on life preservers. According to the Geneva Gazette, every eye on deck was fixed on the monster and hardly a person was breathing normally. While the boat was yet some distance from it, the monster again looked at the boat, sank out of sight, and the boat passed over the spot where it had been. As the steamboat approached within 50 yards of the creature, the captain gave the order to turn the boat so that its paddle wheel would strike the creature midway between its head and tail. The boat went full steam ahead and struck the monster with enough impact that many of the passengers were thrown off their feet. The mortally wounded animal lay in the water next to the steamboat. It raised its head, gave a sound like a gasp, and lay quiet. Its spinal column had been broken and it was dead. Lifeboats were immediately lowered and lines were strung around the body. Passengers and crew tried to secure the carcass. In the end, though it proved too heavy or unwieldy and dropped into the water, sinking 600 feet to the bottom of Seneca Lake. The ship reached Geneva after dark and the passengers began to tell their stories of the incident. While all agreed that a monster had been seen, different versions of the length of the monster from 25 feet to as much as 90 feet strained the credibility of the accounts. The Rochester Herald said that Professor George R. Elwood, the geologist on board, who had been in one of the lifeboats trying to secure the body, gave what was considered the most careful and perhaps most trustworthy account. He thought it was a cladastus, an extinct marine lizard from the Mosasaur family that lived in what is now the United States until it disappeared from the fossil record at the end of the Cretaceous period, about 66 million years ago. Now, we can't let skepticism get the better of us. Considering that in December of 1938, a South African fisherman caught a coelacanth, which is a fish that was thought to have been extinct and disappeared from the fossil record at the end of the Cretaceous period, 66 million years ago. So it is entirely possible that this thing could have existed. Professor Elwood went on to describe the creature as about 25 feet long with a tail that tapered until within about 5 feet of the head which it broadened out and looked much more like a whale. The creature weighed about 1,000 pounds. Its head was perhaps four feet long and triangular. Its mouth was very long and it was armed with two rows of triangular white teeth as sharp as those as a shark, but in the shape more like that of a sperm whale. Its body was covered with a horny substance, which was much like the carapace of a terrapin as anything else of which I know. This horny substance was brown in color and of a greenish tinge. The belly of the creature, which I saw after the rope slipped and the carcass was going down, 
was cream white. Its eyes were round, like those of a fish, and it did not wink. For years now, what could it have been has been the question that has speculated around the area, and even the country, and now the world. It hardly seems likely that so many people could have imagined something so vivid if there had been nothing there. Lake Sturgeon, indigenous to both big lakes, can live to be as old as 100 years, grow to 9 feet long and 300 pounds. Their skin is like a shark-like dull gray. Eels are darker but smaller, not getting much longer than 5 feet. Muscalungi can also get over 5 feet long and weigh 70 pounds. Plus, they have rows of sharp teeth. None are apt to convince a boatload of people that they were in the presence of a 25-foot monster, though. It was suggested by cynics that the whole thing was a hoax perpetuated by the passengers and crew, which is also exceedingly unlikely. Dozens of people would have had to have kept that secret for the rest of their lives, while human nature suggests that no group larger than three people can be trusted to reliably keep a secret for a long weekend. The Geneva Historical Society can document at least 20 separate reported sightings of the Seneca Lake Monster, most recently in 2013. Cayuga's Old Greeny has a Facebook page. Clearly, the idea that Big Lakes harbor mysteries beyond our knowledge is one that is held stubborn and collective in our imagination. It's part of the charm of living in small towns, I would say, especially lake towns. I'll Never Go Camping Again by Anonymous This was sometime in 2015. I had gone camping with a couple of friends. This was probably the third time I'd ever been camping. We were at a pay-to-stay campground. We were even staying in a tiny cabin by a big lake, so it wasn't like we were out in the wild. Now, back then I used to get panic attacks sometimes for no reason. For some reason, despite my immense love for nature, ever since my first camping trip I would often get a panic attack when camping. I couldn't tell you why for the life of me. Well, that night I had one, and it was severe to the point where I had felt like I could not breathe if I stayed in the cabin. But I would get scared if I stayed outside alone. So I had a lot of back and forth, and my poor friends put up with me. At one point I had stepped outside with one of them, my significant other at the time, and was trying to calm down and wondering where I could go pee. My significant other had a flashlight and was leading me to a spot in the dirt at the edge of the trees, between our two parked cars. He reasoned it was a good enough distance from the cabin, and yet not in the middle of the woods where some critter could catch me with my pants down. So I agreed, and that's when I saw it. I, I can still remember. I could barely see the lake from the distance. I stepped past the first car and looked between, and there at the edge of the woods where it meets the lake, I could see something. It looked like a creature. There was minimal light, so I could barely see its silhouette, but I could tell it was not human. It was so strange because it was silent. The creature had the general body shape of what looked like a dog, but its colors and features were more like a hyena, but also like an aquatic monster. It was almost like it was a fusion between the two. I could definitely tell. It definitely was capable of living and moving on land, but it also had features that made it look very much like it swam and spent a lot of time in the water. I stood there perfectly still, watching this thing slowly emerge from the water. I only saw its torso and head and the front of its legs. The thing I'll never get over is its face. It looked like it was frozen in time with its jaw wide open, 
revealing sharp, bright teeth. Its eyes were looking right at me, but its nose wasn't wrinkled like a snarl, and there was no growling, there was no sound at all. It was the oddest thing. It sent an instant, deep ball of dread down into my core. After I froze for a long moment, I grabbed my significant other's arm and urgently whispered for them to go back in the cabin. I forgot to mention that this thing's eyes were glowing, more than likely reflecting the light. We got in the cabin and the other two friends were asleep, so my significant other didn't see whatever I saw, I'm pretty sure. I'll ask him eventually, but I couldn't sleep that night. With my panic, and now the sight of what I eventually know is to be some sort of water monster, I just could not feel safe. Eventually, I went and slept in my car, because apparently in my brain, that just seemed like the safest place to be. The Horse-Faced Skinwalker by Anonymous There's a logical explanation for everything. Well, that's what my father always said. Of course, he doesn't know what happened to me and my buddies while camping nine years ago. Why should he? Adults and most especially parents mistake traumatic events as an overwhelming experience for your age. Or something that your brain can't handle. Or simple imagination. But what happened to me those years ago still scares me to this very day. And it was no imagination. I had just graduated high school, and me and my friends were about to go our separate ways in life. It just felt too soon. They were already talking about careers and colleges, and this scared me because of the thoughts of never seeing them again were very overwhelming. So when I suggested the thought of a week-long camping trip for one last get-together, they all said yes. We would usually camp in the woods near glacier-filled lakes deep in the wilderness, but for the last get-together, I wanted to do something special. We were going to try camping in a section of land known as Sand Wash. Sand Wash is a large extension of land mostly consisting of desert that stretches over the border of Colorado and Wyoming. In the wintertime, Sand Wash was a cold, harsh environment that would chill you to the bone. But the summer was a whole different world. It was, well, just picture desert, I guess in the summertime, and you got the picture. We graduated early in the summer, so we still had some time before the hot temperatures rolled in. Sand wash was beautiful. The red-colored rock and the pattern of wild horses give it a vibe like no other place that I have ever camped. We spent a while planning the trip from how much food we needed to exactly where we would be camping. The stay would be for around a week, if not five days which would mean we were going to have to pack, a lot. After packing and deciding the spot where we would set up camp, we set off to Sandwash. Sandwash was not too far from where we lived. It was only around a two-hour drive, and the roads were easy enough to navigate. Once you hear the bussing of dirt bikes and all that good stuff, you know that you're not too far away. Then, you start seeing the greenish-blue sagebrush, and you know you're getting very close. It was me and my three other friends, and for privacy reasons, I'll be calling them Jack, Ryan, and Jacob. All four of us inched closer and closer to the gate that separated us from the country in Sandwash. So, I stepped out of the car while everyone else waited, and I undid the metal crate. 
Then I hopped back into the truck and drove into the desert. The roads were extremely rough, almost like they haven't been used or have been overused. We could hear all the stuff in the trailer bumping around and shuffling around due to the massive rocks and bumps in the road. Everyone was doing that thing five-year-old kids do when their parents drive over bumpy roads. They make that annoying vocal noise that goes up and down. I thought it was childish at first, but then I eventually found myself joining along. We had reached the turnoff on the dirt road that led us to the site we were camping at. This road took us very far from the main road and even closer to the border of Wyoming. The road didn't look too bad. There were some divots in the road, but nothing worse than the one we had just driven on. So, I made the gentle swerve onto that road toward our campsite. After an hour of driving, we could start to see our campsite in the distance. It was situated in the side of a small sand and mud-covered mountain that had a clearing wiped clean of sagebrush and rocks. After driving closer and closer, we noticed a foul stench that grew stronger and stronger. It smelled like a rotting carcass that has been stuck in the sun all day. Jacob, whose eyes were watering at this point, started gagging because of how strong the aroma had become. The stench was so strong that all of us started gagging as well. Now the smell was most likely the rotting body of an antelope or something like that. The desert here doesn't get too much water, so I could comprehend the possibility of a dead dehydrated antelope. So I just stuck with that and thought that that's what it was. I thought it would go away once we reached the campsite. After three and a half hours of a bumpy and stench-filled drive, we made it to the site. It was smaller than the pictures looked, but it had enough room for all of us. Without a single word, Ryan opened the trailer and was quickly buried by the misplaced objects that were thrown around while driving. Instead of helping him, we just stood there laughing our asses off because of how stupid he looked. I think he even cracked a smile despite being underneath the grill. Eventually, we all got our cool and started helping him out of the mess and started laying everything out. Our tents were spaced out about four feet apart to where we wouldn't be able to hear each other snoring. At around 5.30, we had unpacked and were already getting dinner ready. We were eating smoked barbecue ribs for dinner, which the stench of made our mouths water. We kept all the food that we needed preserved in a suitcase-sized cooler that weighed roughly 70 pounds with ice in them. Soon, there was no sound and light except the lanterns and Christmas lights we had hung around our campsite and the old wireless radio we had. We all sat around the campfire telling stories and figuring out what we were going to do with our lives. After eating, which filled us up plenty, I told Jack, who was also the chef and in charge of food, to put the ribs in the cooler and put the ribs away in the trailer. He said alright with a boozy and drunk tone in his voice, even though we didn't bring any alcohol with us, so we all got in our tents and said goodnight to each other. Weapon-wise, all I brought was a 22. I didn't want anything really crazy, but I also wanted something for protection, you know? And a 22, regardless of what anybody says, will take you down if you get a good shot in you. Ryan did see me packing it, though, and asked what it was for, and I of course told him. And he replied, so if we get bored we can shoot some gophers or something? I said in a playful but decent tone, but I was lying, if, and he knew it too. When I woke up during the night, I felt like I was drowning. It was like the air was being sucked out of my body, and when I smelt that god-awful rotting corpse smell, but ten times as strong, I started vomiting and gagging due to the stink it gave off. I could hear everyone else puking inside their tents as well. 
but what scared me even more was the sound of ice being poured on the ground. The cooler, somebody said. It's a goddamn coyote. I clenched my fist with the rage of Jack not putting the cooler away like we asked, and just like that our camping trip is ruined. I slept next to the 22 and stuck it out the small hole in the tent. I had a blind shot, so I stuck the barrel in the air and fired a warning shot. I heard footsteps scurrying away. I knew it left. What really scared me is that the footsteps sounded bipedal. It means whatever it was must have been walking on two legs, and it sounded heavy. Each footstep could be felt in my chest. It sent shivers through my spine. I just haven't experienced anything like it before or since. I jumped out of my tent to see nothing but blackness and firelight illuminating the empty cooler before us. I don't remember what the hell happened. All I remember is sitting there staring into the desert. Ryan and Jacob were both yelling profanities at Jack, and I just sat there speechless, just wondering what the hell had broken into our campsite. A human wouldn't eat raw ribs fresh out of the cooler, and certainly wouldn't walk away towards an active campsite and steal from someone. So. What were we dealing with? The next morning, we checked the damage to see nothing but the spilled ice now a puddle on the ground. We left that to Jack, but me and Ryan were talking about what happened last night. We came up with some theories, but decided that it was probably gone and not coming back knowing that we have a weapon. So I mostly forgot about it, and we just went back to exploring our area and horsing around. We played cards and made sandwiches for lunch and scouted the area. Eventually, we saw the sun sinking below the horizon, so Jack fired up the grill and started getting dinner ready. We sat down and started playing a bunch of songs by Glen Campbell. Everyone else seemed relaxed but me. I had an uneasy feeling that I was being watched, but I couldn't tell from what it was. But then, we heard the coyotes. Their graceful howl always calmed me down. Their yapping at each other and their howling for whatever reason was calming to me. But then, one of the coyotes made a completely different noise. It sounded as if it were being ripped apart, limb by limb, eye by eye. Just the most brutal noise imaginable. It was the noise of suffering and pain. It made us drop our forks and wonder what just happened. We heard one more scream from the coyote and then, complete silence. The silence was the worst part. No noise at all. This desert was dead silent. All you could hear was the cackle of our fire. It was as if someone muted everything around us. There was something wrong with the desert and we all knew it. We lost our appetites. The thought that something could rip apart an animal like that just didn't sit right. If it could rip apart a coyote, well imagine what it could do to us. Suddenly I didn't feel safe at all, like the 22 in my tent wouldn't be enough. Jacob was on the verge of tears. I have never seen anyone so scared before. We sat there, just listening to any noise, but there was nothing. Just silence. So we decided to sleep it off and wait for daylight. I awoke again with the feeling of drowning. The powerful stench was too much to bear, so I took it out on puking. It was that thing, looking for food once again. I figured that if this thing would return to our campsite, it must be related to the coyotes we had heard being ripped apart earlier. I wanted to see it, but I didn't want to stick my head out of the tent and be stuck with a mental regret for whatever I would see. But I decided it couldn't be too bad. 
so I unzipped the small window of the tent and froze in horror. It, it was a man. But as my eyes adjusted and it came closer to the firelight, did I really understand? It was no man. The skin was pale with bare spots of exposed flesh. It looked extremely malnourished and skinny. It had a long streak of dark brown hair running down its spine. Its fingers were each around the size of a pencil and just as thin. But the face... The face is what struck me the hardest. It looked like the face of a man, but stretched out and elongated. Like the face of a horse, but with the details of a man's face. It was pure evil. The way it moved, the way it looked, as if it were uncomfortable in its own body. An amalgamation of everything you would expect to see in hell. Almost like every time it moved, it broke a bone in its body. It was tall. Very tall. At least ten feet tall. I was no further than four feet away from it. My heart was beating faster than it ever has in my entire life. I was crying, sobbing like a baby. After snapping myself out of the shock I was in, I slowly bent down to grab the twenty-two, knowing if I miss it will see me, and there's no telling what could possibly happen next. I was shaking so bad I had to press the gun against my chest to get a steady aim. I slowly unzipped the tent window zipper and fired. I hit it alright. It stood up and ran into the desert, on two feet. It scared the living crap out of me. I was not going to step out of that tent. There was no way in hell. What if it came back? What if it ripped open my tent and ran off with me in its grasp? And then... came the scream. It was horrible. The sound came from all directions, blowing out my eardrums almost. It sounded like someone was trying to make a woman scream, but out of the tune of a violin. It hurt my ears more than anything I've ever heard. There was no sleeping that night. I was wide awake, fully alert to anything and any sound that came by. But nothing further happened. Nothing at all. I was so scared that even in daylight, I was scared to step out of my tent. Everyone else looked sleep-deprived and scared for their lives. I figured they saw it too, but I didn't want to ask them. So we packed faster than we ever had before. No one said a single word for the entire drive through the sand wash. But when I stopped to pee, I started to smell that foul aroma that covered whatever that thing was. I didn't have any time to pee, and I just decided to hold it. We drove back to the paved road, which felt great because we knew we were out of there for good. On our way back, we stopped at a gas station to grab some food and use the restroom. I walked up to the cashier and she asked me if I was okay. I didn't say anything but wondered why she asked. It was because my hand was still shaking so badly. She must have thought I had Parkinson's or something. Upon making it home to my parents, and they asked me why we came back so early, I told them that there was... There was just some stuff that went down. You know, there was too many bugs and too many people in the site, even though it was rather remote. I don't know. I just didn't want to tell them about our encounter. I don't know what I encountered. A skinwalker, maybe? But I'm not going back to find out. I've never told my story before because I thought no one would believe me. But after discovering your show, I wanted to submit my story so other people can hear it without me telling them. Me and those friends meet up every now and then. But that is something we specifically avoid. We refuse to ever talk about it. It's something that still scares us.
Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true cryptid encounter horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. If you enjoyed these stories, be sure to slap that like button so it really feels it. Be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you don't miss a new episode. I upload them multiple times a month on all things natural and supernatural. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. Much love to everybody who supports the swamp. If you're on the go and would like to download your favorite Swamp Dweller Scary Stories and listen to them no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and pretty much everywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. If you'd like to support the Swamp further, we do have a merch store. You can find links to that in the description. I also am on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all that good stuff. If you're interested in seeing what I'm doing outside of YouTube, I do sing for a metalcore band called Burn Absolute. So if you're a fan of bands like Of Mice and Men, Bring Me the Rise in A Day to Remember, check out my band. You can find some links in the description as well. But again, that's Burn Absolute. B-U-R-N Absolute.